Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 59, Act 2, Amanisha Ferdinand, Divine Self-Development, recorded October 22nd, 2022. A plus B The one size fits all prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability Let's burn some bridges Earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie But they don't apply to people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, hey, TA audience. Welcome to Teaching Artistry. This podcast is researched, recorded, and produced on the unceded lands, water, and air stewarded by the Canarsie and Muncie Lenape peoples in what is colonially known as Brooklyn, New York. Thanks for listening and thanks for being a part of our global community. Invite your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join our community and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast player. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and head over to teachingartistry.org to access episodes, guest bios, our video series, merch, and more. We're winding down January and, you know, the top of the year tends to be a time when people set resolutions uh, and they're usually things that we say we want to do. They're totally, you know, maybe we kick off the year with doing them, but they're not necessarily always able to be uh, lasting, long lasting, right? Or sustainable. So rather than like setting myself up to fail, which, you know, we're good at, um, I, th- I thought, I mean, what about intentions? Let's, let's set intentions for, not just this year, but like how we want to move in the world, how we want to be as time moves forward. So with that in mind, I thought I'd share a couple of those things. Um, So I see shenanigans and lots of laughter. I see hard work, but not the kind of hard work that like breaks me down, but actually builds me up. I see joy and I see rest. I need time to experience things. I need time to dream. I need time to sleep. I need time to, you know, also listen to my body when it's like, no, stop pushing yourself, etc. So join rest. I see uplifting others and being uplifted by them. Uh, and that can look a whole lot of ways. I see trying new things. I love to, I love to dabble. I like to try a thing. I like to experience something I haven't done before. Um, to have a sense of what I like to go places I haven't been. This is what that means. Uh, I see feeding my creative heart. Um, I already do quite a few creative projects, but I'm always open to more. 
Uh, I see me dialing it in. What does this mean? Dialing it in means I have, you know, specific goals around building my my mental health, my physical health, and my financial health. And so dialing it in means like really honing in on specific uh, steps I need to take to, uh, you know, move toward that those goals. Uh, I see me living it up. This means that I'm still being intentional and making choices that are, you know, relatively safe, but living it up by saying yes, uh, yes to things that I think will meet some of those other things like shenanigans, laughter, joy, um, rest even. Um, But living it up also can be, you know, um, yeah, meeting new people, like, you know, just being open, essentially. Uh, I see lots of swimming. Swimming is my jam. And I see me choosing me always. Because if I don't put myself first or prioritize myself, how can I be there for others? How can I be funny? How can I, you know, do all that hard work and showing up for other other uh, projects, other people, other, all those things. So I'm curious, what do you see for you as time moves forward? What's your to be's or your intentions? Hmm? Okay. So in the conclusion of our conversation, Amanisha and I continue chatting about her entering into the field of teaching artistry and how she needed to take a step back in order to better understand where in the creative arts field felt like a good fit in order for her work to feel less transactional and more transformational. Um, I adore I just adore Amanisha and I hope that you're getting to see what I see in her, that she's incredibly thoughtful, that she's um, kind, she's strong, she has a lot of empathy, Um, there's a lot of light and joy in her life and depth Um, and you know, so much more. Here is episode 59, act two, Amanisha Ferdinand, Divine Self-Development. So now you're in New York City. When, at, when, at any point in your life bef- leading up to being in New York City, did you teach? Never. Never. Okay. So when did you start teaching? And Way why? after I left acting. Okay. Uh, 2004, New York, having troubles with my roommate situation, tired of doing theater for like little to no money, tired of being cold, Mm. tired of not wanting to go home into this troubled situation. My best friend had moved to LA a year before and keep asking people to come out. I'm like, and people could be like, oh, you have a good commercial face. You'd be a good commercial actor. And I'm like, okay, all of these things, I'm tired of being poor and cold. (laughs) And Let me move to LA where it's sunny and maybe I'll be a commercial actor. Move to LA. That's 2004. Move in with my best friend. She has a studio apartment and she's sleeping on an air mattress. She got me a, another twin air mattress to sleep a, opposite her in a studio apartment. Um, after a year and a half in LA, I found myself What was it? Uh, I left LA in, in a year after a year and a half. I had been questioning in those last few years in New York, um, I moved there in 98, this was 2004, if I really wanted to be an actor. 
I was like, is it just that all of the like auditioning and not getting jobs is making me feel defeated? Or is it that this is just something I decided I want to do when I was 12? And I've been putting so much time and energy and all of my parents' time and money into it. And I felt like I just had to keep going with it. And I really wasn't sure, but I felt like I didn't want to do it anymore. And I just wasn't sure which was the reason why, um, why I was sticking with it. Did I not want to do it just because the rejection was hurting? Or did I potentially just been doing it for so long because all of these people have invested so much in me having done it for so long? So being in LA and discovering conversations that were just constantly felt like us trying to suss each other out. I ask you, how are you doing? And you start like giving me your resume and potentially maybe because you, I might be somebody that you need to impress. And then once you discover I'm not somebody you need to impress and you move on. And then I fall into this rhythm of like trying to give you my resume just in case you're somebody I need to impress. And it just... And going to parties and getting swag bags and feeling really good about that and all the networking, it just, I felt like, what, what, what am I doing? Like, how am I being of service to any, anybody in my community? And this is where Ahidiana started to rear up inside of me. Mm. This is so false, Amanisha. This is so fake. You're just, it's so self involved and self-centered. You're meant to be doing more for folks outside of yourself. Well, really, I'm meant to being I'm meant to be doing more for my community. So my grandma had started to um in the early stages of dementia mm -hmm. and I came to an acceptance that I actually did not want to pursue a career in acting anymore. And it's okay that I feel that way. And then the question was, what do you want to do? And I want to be of service to my community. I still love theater. Maybe I can, I'd like to work with young people in theater. So I moved back home to New Orleans um, to be with my grandmother. That was July of 2005. I, um, contacted Southern Rep Theater. Uh, I, I learned, I wanted to apply to maybe an MFA program to learn directing so I could direct youth theater. Um, but you need to have a portfolio and you need to have directed something. And so I was gonna start working with a theater company here and I was like, hey, maybe I do assistant directing. I didn't know that was an actual title of like directing. <laughs> I was, I thought it was like you assist the director and then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I come back to sign people in for the callbacks. Mm. And that's where um, we're starting to get updates that a hurricane is coming, uh, mm. like New Orleans is in the path. Um, and so I think I should fast forward a little bit. Normally if a hurricane's coming, you either are gonna stay at home and make sure you have everything, or my father was coming to see if we could get a hotel downtown because they don't lose power. And that's really the worst part of it is like being stuck in a house that's hot with no power. Yeah. Um, but then it was getting upgraded. And so they were suggesting that if you could evacuate, go ahead and leave. So we ended up in Atlanta eventually. And I eventually started substitute teaching. I told you more details of that. 
um, how that came to be. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I'd ever taught. So being a paraprofessional, working in special ed at an elementary school, right? So I actually didn't even work in special ed. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I took this first call from the robot system that calls for subs, ended up subbing this middle school special ed classroom. Mm -hmm. The principal asked me to come back the next day. I was looking forward to it. I surprisingly missed the kids at the end of the day. I came back the next day and there was somebody else in the classroom, a different sub. Oh. And I was like, who is this teaching my kids? And I went to the office and it turns out either the principal needed to request me in the system because the system just robot called uh, for another sub the next day. Oh, no. So I waited in the office and the principal called me in and that's when he asked me, oh, what are you doing otherwise? And I was like, nothing. We just evacuated the storm. So we're here for a while. And he said, what would you like to do? And I said, work with young people in theater. And he said, he's applying for a fine arts grant uh, because he would like his middle school to become a feeder school to a high school nearby that has an arts program. And so while he's waiting for that grant to come through, maybe I could, he could hire me to just do some tutoring in the library um, before he can get maybe a drama program started up that I would be able to teach. So I went back there and once again, I had never even, I'd done nothing in education, Courtney. (laughs) Like I was given a, a, (laughs) a middle school a whole day of students and it wasn't all the same students students coming in and out of a classroom the para i think came in and out also yeah. uh so i was in there by myself often having never taught before but passed a background check. never taught before passed a background check not certified but mm, here you go <laughs> uh and then i started like he would send they would send um students to me to help them with their writing i this i'm remembering now is probably what shifted this concept for artistry and creativity with me i would ask the kids some questions like how i learned to write is you brainstorm your ideas first and they weren't able to share even think of some of their ideas first some of the some of the prompts might have been like uniforms or no uniforms, and I tried to like go down to maybe some simpler questions, but something had like given them a block where even just saying, okay, well, let's just like talk about ideas. What are your thoughts on this, that, or the other? There was some sort of block there that I think that was the first time that I started thinking about how to foster imaginative thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we we would do that. We'd kind of really work on just talking and like moving the papers aside for a little bit before we got to the papers. And that's where I did also notice like a lot of the 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 kids were just really struggling with writing. Um, like words. Like de- like developmentally 
they hadn't yet attained some of the skills that were being expected of them. They were being expected to write these essays. Like they were in eighth grade and they were being expected to write these essays, but they hadn't yet been given enough time and tutoring and teaching on just writing words and sentences. Mm. And that was, yeah, that was actually kind of helpful for me and learning, that was my first, I think, learning where the state of this public school's uh, education was. And I did learn a little bit more. The school was in a very, very high poverty area. And some of the the children were dealing with um, struggles of homelessness, um, struggles of, of not having power or water on. And so the day that my drama class started, I really, <laughs> there were two things happening for me. I wanted it to be fun, but I also wanted to like replicate the drama class that I had in high school. So I Googled how to write a syllabus. I Googled how to come up with a grading system. Um, but I kind of enjoyed this. Like I'm a learner. I am, I'm, I'm teaching myself, but I'm enjoying the learning. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I looked up monologues for middle schoolers, scenes for middle schoolers, um, thought about all the physical movement activities that we did at NOCA and like the tongue twisters um, and what type of homework to give them. It was a horrible time, <laughs> but I forgot that. I'm remembering like the joy of, of trying to prepare to teach. And I'm remembering the kids uh, walking around trying to do the the tip of the lung, the tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips, the tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips. Betty butter, but some butter, but she said this butter bitter. And so that like was like we would that was like their assignment to come in and to try to memorize and perform the Betty butter. Um, I'm remembering this with fondness, but in the moment, in that time, it was really hard. Kids didn't want to be in drama class. They didn't ask to be in there. They want to be in PE. Kids would start fighting in the middle of class. They would walk out of class. I was supposed to do morning duty and, and hallway duty, but I had no authority. I would tell the kid, okay, it's time to go to class, and they'd curse me out, and I'd feel horrible. <laughs> um, But there were some children who really caught into it. And I felt like I was good at this, even though I was failing at it. And I just needed to know how to do it better. Mm. And that's what led me to try and do some searching for... Um, how did I Googled how to teach programs to teach how to teach theater? And I kept finding these masters of arts and I was like, oh, this is great. But it, my God, I knew so little. <laughs> it's much like assistant directing. I thought master of arts was like theater arts, right. but it turns out that's everything oh, in the liberal <laughs> arts. <game. laughs> you can get a master of arts in psychology. It turns out there's nothing to do with yeah. the arts as I knew it. 
and what actually happened is that I went to New York for um, during the school spring break to visit friends. And while I was there, a friend had asked asked me if I could do a playwriting. Um, he he needed uh, there was an actor who needed there was a director who needed some actors to do some readings for their playwriting um, mm -hmm. workshop. And I had been working at the middle school, I think, for two months, and I hadn't gotten paid yet. Oh. But I thought Atlanta public schools move slowly, you know, and, and when I told it, some teachers, they were like, wait, I wouldn't be working here. I mean, not gotten paid. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I, every time I would leave to go to my car, I would need somebody to like open the door for me because I didn't have a badge to like beep, unlock the door to get back in. So I went to the central office at Atlanta Public Schools to ask, how do I apply for a badge? And they're like, you aren't in our system. Um, they're like, are you a certified teacher? And I was like, no, they're like, you shouldn't be teaching then. Yeah. <laughs> and so I went to the principal and he told me that he was, he'd been trying to work things out behind the scenes to get me, um, I don't know what, some temporary certification, something, I don't know. He was supposedly been working things out. At the same time, we were coming up to the end of the third quarter where kids were supposed to switch. No, coming at fall break, we're supposed to switch to another elective, but they discovered that they hadn't gotten the requisite amount of time of physical education, the hours needed. Mm -hmm. So everybody was going to have to stay in their electives so that they got the kids who were in PE got the um, required amount of PE hours. So then kids were mad. Man, I don't want to be in theater no more. I was supposed to be going to, to I want to go to Spanish class. I want to go to PE class. I'm supposed to be going to PE class. And they're mad. Mm -hmm. Understandably, they thought they were going to be getting out of my class. I haven't gotten paid for two months. The principal says that he's just working things out. So I submitted my resignation letter and, and the invoice of the hours because he said he would make sure I get paid, which he did do okay. the hours that he had agreed to pay me. Um, so when I went for spring break and he's like, oh, can you do this playwriting workshop? I was like, well, actually, I just quit my job. So <laughs> my schedule's open. Mm -hmm. So I go and I do like the cold reading of these folks plays for them with some other actors. And then we're all going out for drinks after. And I'm talking to the director like, oh, what is this? And he's like, oh, this is a, a playwriting class I teach um, as part of this educational theater program. I was like, huh? What? What? <laughs> Tell me more. Wait, this is a program that teaches people how to teach theater. And this is what I've been looking for. Who, who was who was doing the playwriting class? Oh my God. What was his name? He was an adjunct professor. Steve? Steven Demena? <gasps> yes, okay. that's the name. Okay, okay, okay. That's the name. So yeah, Stephen Demena. Um, yes. Yeah, he used to work around. That makes much more sense. Playwriting, absolutely. Yes, he used to come in. Like we used to share a class. Like his 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 course came after my course at one point. We were sharing the same room, and his class was after mine. So yes, yeah, Stephen Demena. Got it. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I discovered this was what I had been looking for. Um, what I've been googling, and for some reason, not didn't find but only was able to find thanks to the divine intervention of God because I was here visiting friends and my teaching job had ended. 
And so I was able to extend to actually do this thing to meet this person, to learn about this person. I see. Yeah, that's definitely the universe being like, you want to do more? You got to learn more. This this thing that you're doing is giving you an understanding that you need this. Yeah. And now here, here I place it in your in your. I mean, that's the entire, my road to being an, an arts educator is all divinely designed. I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't plan or seek out any of it. Mm -hmm. So when did you go to, you know, I, you know what I usually start is um, like, what do you do now? But we've really, we ha I don't have no clue what you're doing now. I can't wait to get there. Um, <laughs> kind Which of is a very big jump from what I. I love it. I mean, seriously, like. This is this is why we do this, Amanisha, because like everybody's story is so different and so interesting and I'm loving being on the journey with you right now. Um okay, so so you just did this play reading. Now you've learned that there's a program called Educational Theater at NYU. Do do you go to the program? How long? What happened? Uh it's two thousand six. Uh it's probably March. Um, I go home. When I go back home, I fill out the application. I, huh, but how did I graduate in 2008? It's a year and a half. Oh, and I fill out the application. I see that there's three different tracks. There's communities and schools where you don't need a certification. Mm -hmm. I think there's maybe a certification to teach theater and maybe a double certification to teach English. I didn't want to be a certified teacher and go back into the schools. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know I never wanted to do hallway duty, cafeteria duty, or bus duty again in my life. So I did the shortest one, communities and schools, which is a year and a half. So if I graduated in 2008, yeah, I must have applied and got accepted to start in 2007, maybe January of 2007. Yeah, yep, that is. Yeah, that's right. Because I graduated in summer of 2008. I moved back home to New Orleans. Ah, okay. So it's 2006. I apply. I go back home to Atlanta. We now we we can go back to New Orleans now. So we're doing a lot of back and forth because it's still not livable. Right. Um, but we're driving back and forth between New Orleans and Atlanta, trying to like fix up the house and get things together and. I go back home and we're in an, I'm in an apartment my parents got and I apply for work and I teach in very special arts in Jefferson Parish, which is another program. I didn't even think about this. Like my first ever teaching job was in special ed. And then my next teaching job was in very special arts. But in this one, it's a program uh, for students or on different levels of spectrum of disability. Mm. Uh, but with arts and normally they usually have musicians teaching this but once again the storm has just happened everybody's displaced mm. so we're trying theater for the first time that also was really joyous because I'm just once again pulling anything and everything that I've learned some puppetry some like I taped uh pictures of animals to po uh, popsicle sticks and I'm doing voices with them uh we're doing some like physical theater moves that I learned at NOCA um, and having a good old time uh, doing story, reading stories to them. And then I also got a second job doing um, 
Upward Bound summer program on Tulane's university's campus. And so that was more like traditional um, kids summer theater class where we created a little play together. Yeah, I, nobody told me how to do that, but we did, we made, we made, we made theater together. <laughs> we made something up, we created it together and they performed it at the end of the summer. And then I went to um, the next 2000, January, 2007, I went to NYU for the educational theater program. And then graduated 2008, moved back home <clears throat> and started looking up um, arts education organizations in New Orleans. And there were really only two, young audiences and Kids Smart. Um, I went, I think to young audiences and the director was actually the brother I discovered of, um, his sister and I went to high school together, um, but their pay was really, really low. And mm -hmm. I had just gotten a master's degree. And in my mind, that would equate to some pay thing. It turns out that's not true. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then I went to KidSmart to drop off my resume there. And the uh, program director came out and I was like, oh, I'm just going to leave my resume with uh, somebody. And she was like, oh, come on and sit down and I'll talk to you. And she interviewed me right then and there. Huh? And um, then I saw like a, a brochure for some, a program that they had done that my cousin was in. New Orleans is very small. So mind you, every I'm going places, oh, oh, my cousin did this. Oh, you know, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I think she hired me to be a teaching artist. I think she called me, hired me to be a teaching artist. And so I started, um, I started doing arts integration at um, a new charter school here in New Orleans uh, that, that year, 2008, right after I got out of school. What was a highlight of being in the educational theater program at NYU for you? I learned so much there. I was became really well equipped to come home and start teaching. So I think everything was really great. I think getting access to the two programs that I did abroad mm. were really important. I did went to Brazil for the Theater of the Oppressed workshop mm. and with Augusto Boal. And Augusto Boal was alive then. And that was, I think, a week. Yeah. Um, that was really amazing, learning the theater of the oppressed techniques uh, and the concept and seeing how they are using it in community. And then after I graduated, I went to Uganda um, with Invisible Children yeah. and did um, co-teaching there. And that was my first ever co-teaching, but became pretty much the root of all of my um, 10 years with KidSmart, I was co-teaching with um, classroom teachers integrating our moments. What were some, any challenges or uh, things that you wish the program held for you? There's something, I was not equipped to understand what was going on in this concept of charter schools. And I don't think they knew what was happening in New York, um, our public school system had been completely dismantled by um, business folks in collusion with government and the capital, Louisiana. 
they saw the hurricane and the evacuation of the city as an opportunity to take over and make whatever changes they wanted. And they changed many laws and um, ushered in this public-private partnership in our public school system that just encouraged all of these young white folks to come in and get all this money to start all these schools. Um, and it has been and still is the demise of the public school system as we know it, as far as a value of hiring um, teachers and leaders that understand the community and the children. Mm. And so this was new here, but it was being replicated from what was happening in DC. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it wasn't new to the country, right? but it was being replicated on a whole citywide um, scale. But I do think it would have been helpful to understand. I think NYU was, had more of a New York centered uh, education systems lens. Yeah. And maybe if there was a little bit more teaching and raising awareness around what other school systems might look like that we would encounter. Mm. I hear that. <clears throat> I, I I would say that I'm still quite New York City centric um, because it's the system that I currently work in if, for my course I'm talking about. Um, but I, with the understanding that, you know, <laughs> when I was there, I was so confused when people were like, I'm going back to X, Y, and Z place. I'd be like, what do you mean? You're in New York City. Like, this is it. This is everything. But I'm also from here. So, and, but I still had to learn the system. But at the same time, like, I can't, I did something similar where I was going from one place to go to school in, in New York City. But I was, for me, I was returning back to home. Um, so they, I, the concept of like, I've come here to learn these things to bring them back to my, where I'm from was like noble to me, but also confusing. <laughs> it was very confusing to me. Um, yeah. So I saw so something that you're talking about in terms of like having a wider lens of the educational system across the country, knowing, uh, and maybe even internationally because there are, are international students, but just having a broader scope is I think a, a positive or an important sort of thing to know. Um, I don't know how we, we, those of us who are working there um, can get more well-versed or, or is it something, you know, I, I would love to think through like, how can I, what more resources can I do to bring other perspectives in? I'm actually wondering now if maybe if it is a, an encouragement, like in physical theater class, uh -huh. um, I think Jan, Nan, Nan, mm -hmm. in, in physical theater, we had to bring, uh, present, we yeah. had to study and, and present uh, a form of physical theater um, to the class. Mm. And maybe if it's just an acknowledgement mm -hmm. of we're going to be entering um, educational systems that have really a history of oppression mm -hmm. and and marginalization and how do we equip ourselves to work within the system and not be swallowed by the system. And so mm. uh, we would like you all to go ahead and, and do some research on the 
it could be the type of system you came from or the type of system you plan and go into and come back and present that. I like that. I have a, I have a, uh, I have something that's similar, but not quite as an assignment, which is um, less on a, on the, on an education district or system and more on like, do some research. Here's a form that will help you sort of decide, like think about what you're interested in of what kind of arts organization that works in arts education that you're interested in either for that you'd like to work for or you want to learn more about or something like that. And that, and that, the spectrum is why like it's not, it has to be in New York city. It's whatever. But I, I do hear what you're saying. I like that. I can consider something like that in my, in my repertoire. Um, but you, you early, earlier you sort of alluded to the charter system and, and we definitely have, um, the the pu- the pu- push pull um, of privatization of public education uh, um, from a political standpoint and a socioeconomic standpoint um, that has pretty significant ramifications and impacts and I'm thinking about the work that we haven't talked about the work that you're doing now. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to, I want to learn more. So we finally got to like kid smart and I know that you're doing other kinds of work. So can you talk to us about, you know, once you were back in your hometown and doing and actually working as a teaching artist with all this knowledge and information and, um, you know, what is the work? Uh, what is your approach to the work? How has it evolved over time? So just to clarify, I started as a teaching artist with KidSmart in 2008. Um, I ended as an arts integration instructional coach in 2018. And then I left um, KidSmart. I needed a break from everything. And so now I'm working with a a professor who was at Harvard Graduate School of Education Mm. last year and has recently transitioned back just very recently to Hunter College where she taught many, many years ago, professor of education, Dr. Rhonda Bondi. And she's been really researching teacher training and uh, alternative ways or how, um, how can professional development look and be effective um, outside of the classroom. And so, she initially had done the first iteration of this on her own, where there is a program called Mersion, a company called Mersion that creates um, virtual virtual simulated environments. So there's you you show up to Zoom and instead of seeing me, you might see a classroom with five desks at a um, a little half half round table. Or maybe if you're in medical school, you would see um, a doctor's office with like uh, that seat where the patients sit on or lay back on. And then there are different people, adults that can come on your screen. And so she had created a simulation where um, there's an instructional coach and there's a classroom of eight students and they were piloting in other schools. They have like just college students who read the script and they use um, like an Xbox controller to pilot all the different students 
and it has software that changes your voice for you, but you change your voice a little bit to, to be the different students or the instructional coach. Wow. Yeah. But it was a lot for her to do or for the students to do. So she contacted KidSmart. This is now, now 2020 uh, to ask maybe if there were some teaching artists uh, who have both theater and education backgrounds who could um, take on that job. And so we initially did that, but started giving some feedback on the script really to, to increase the, the educational challenge and educational support for a teacher that comes in to practice that. And so after we developed that one and I'm running those simulations and also providing some coaching to the teacher, giving them feedback. So they go in, they practice for like seven minutes, come out. And then uh, I, as it, well, they only used to have one instructional coach, Bennett, who was a black man. So I, as Bennett, <laughs> would be asking them how that feel mm -hmm. and um, asking them some um, inciting questions to help them think about what moves they did in the classroom. And um, then we would try again, go back into the classroom where I'm. I mean, that's sort of like forum theater. It gives teachers an opportunity to practice teaching without the fear of harming children. <laughs> because every time we're practicing in the classroom, we are, we're practicing, our, our, our kids, our students are, they're part of our practice without intentionally volunteering. I think when you're a child and you go to class, you're volunteering to be taught by what you assume and we've all agreed as a, a, a capable person. But the reality is, is that we are constantly learning as teachers. Yeah. And especially if we're trying to teach in a more student-centered way, it's just a lot more difficult and more challenging than just saying, here's the information, write down the information, regurgitate the information. There's a lot of control in that. Mm -hmm. But if you really want to ensure that your students' voices are dominant in the classroom and all student voices have space, not just the students who feel most comfortable putting their voices forward, then there's a lot of um, navigating. I'm moving my shoulders around. There's a lot of like, you know, given yeah. like how you have to watch, you have to listen, you have to adjust. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm really enjoying about the benefit of this virtual classroom experience for teachers or educators in general is that you're able to adjust, listen. I'm able to improvise as these different students because I know the student's backstory, their background. I know the specific challenge that students provide to teachers in the classroom and I can give those to you and give you an opportunity to try and hear them and mm -hmm. respond to them. Mm -hmm. And you're not gonna, you're not hurting anybody. And then we come out and you have an instructional coach who can start to debrief with you right there in the moment. And then you get to erase time and try it again. Um, it does still feel very close to forum theater. I know, I mean, it's not exact, but there, I mean, all those same sort of structures are, are similar and the instructional coach who's sort of challenging the group or the person to think and uh, reflect and then, name and then try you know what I mean like those things are present I do understand what you're saying about like 
can we try things out without unintentionally doing harm to to young people but but simulate as if they're there so that when we are doing this in real life some of those the harm reduction is at play Mm. that's that's very very cool amanisha i've never heard of anything like this yeah yeah it is it is really cool and i'll say on the teaching artistry side the professor because this for her is a research project Mm. on how to like develop so if we're doing it without collecting data and research then that's not really the goal like her the arm of her university is not a service provider i see so i didn't really care so much about the data but i really enjoyed the service that i was providing to these teachers who were learning how to become teachers um so she even suggested that maybe we could start our own company where we would be pitching this. But I realized that's not, I don't want to do that. Why don't you want to do that? Uh, I don't want to. I worked for a nonprofit for 10 years mm-hmm. and I know what it is to have to constantly be pitching to schools. Mm-hmm. And because we existed in this charter school system, we, I would constantly get new CEOs, new principals mm-hmm. who would come in after a couple of years and I would have to resell to them the benefit of arts integration for their students learning. Mm-hmm. I know their students more than them because I've been either in residence at that school for multiple years or I've been the, I've been supporting our teaching artists and residents at that school for multiple years. So I know their kids and I know their teachers and I know the efficacy that we've had, but I have to still go and convince you to re-sign up a contract with us because I need you to believe and understand that this is effective learning for your students and for your teachers. And I got tired of being a salesman. Mm. Um, I really did, especially why <laughs> it sounds obnoxious, but I know, I know more about this than you do. <laughs> yeah. And I have to now like convince you to hire us to do the work. Um, so in that way, I don't want to, I don't want to, I didn't want to re- recreate trying to go, I'd have to now sell, sell this to university programs right. to hire us to work with their students. Um, I also watched my director do a lot of like contract negotiations. I didn't have to do the contracting parts, but that also seems like a lot. And then I'd have to hire people. In KidSmart, I had advanced to the part where I wasn't necessarily, I was like reading through interviews with my other collaborators, my colleagues on the team and deciding who to, it's, it's, it's just, that's a lot more energy. I like to just show up plan the facilitation, facilitate the learning. Mm. Um, and then, and, and keep working with the, the educators until our time comes to an end. But mm. the other business parts of it, I don't want to do. So what is it that you would like to do? You want to continue to, to you know show up, be the facilitator? Or what do you want to do? Yeah. And that's the, how do I do this moving forward? I think honestly, what I would like to do is to have it keep happening the way it's happening. People are like, hey, oh, I hear you do this great thing. Can you come do this great thing for me? Here, I'll pay you. Great. <laughs> that's honestly, I mean, and that's that's what's been happening for me. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I just facilitated a three-day retreat. Now, I say retreat because it has a different meaning, I feel like, in this organizational nonprofit world than in the human world, where retreat is where you go and you lounge by the spa and you get massages. But I've been hearing, and us using this word retreat, means that we're meeting together in a different location over multiple days. Yes. So there's a fellowship at Tulane where graduate students who want to do community-engaged fellowship apply to get a stipend, and they get partnered with faculty and with community fellows to help support them in making connections in the community and then really developing that, that um, scholarship and a project in partnership with a community group or organization. And I was a community fellow years ago, helping to support them to make some connections in New Orleans. And then I led the, the three-day retreat in like 2019. And so they asked me to come back and lead it again in 2022. Mm. And that, so this is what I really like to do. Planning with the people who are responsible for the folks who are learning, like what is it that you want them to learn? Then I plan all these different ways to be teaching mm -hmm. and to facilitate their learning, facilitate them coming together. And then I come and I do it um, and the folks enjoy it and they enjoy each other and they're um, pushed out of their comfort zone, but they're learning about themselves and each other. That's, that's what I want to just, that's what I want to do. I love that. I think you, you, that's a great want and I want that for you. But I want to do it ethically. You want to yeah. do it ethically. So what does that mean to you? Uh, this project is grant funded. The professor has switched to a new university. So it's possible that the responsibilities of this space are going to make this come to an end. So I might have to start looking for work. And I talked to a friend who knows a lot of folks facilitating learning and DEI mm -hmm. initiatives. And I, I did, when I was a teaching artist, I went to this, um, workshop in California seeking educational equity and diversity, which was really training teachers or educators to go back into their school communities and then train teachers in their schools about how our curriculum and what we're teaching is uh, really promoting equity or not. Um, and really speaking to multiple, uh, multiple perspectives and identities in our classroom. Mm -hmm. So I brought, I don't work in a school, so I brought that back to teaching artists in my community who are working in New Orleans, and we did a number of sessions together. That felt ethical and great. Mm. Um, I did, um, the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond here in New Orleans has an undoing racism workshop. Mm -hmm. And so I've gone through that a few times um, in partnership with, when I was in partnership with different organizations. And so one thing that comes out of that, if you're not anti-racist, you're racist. So as I'm moving forward in this facilitation, in order for me to get, to get funded for it, that's where the question of ethics is going to come in. Mm. Whose money am I asking for? Whose money am I taking? What's the depth of diversity and equity that I'm being asked to facilitate? or I'm agreeing to facilitate. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I needed to step out of the classroom is I found myself starting to become complicit with this system of rigidity in the classroom. I was no longer really expansive in my teaching. I was becoming more narrow 
in alignment with how the teacher was teaching in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So I'm concerned that if I enter into this next realm of facilitation, will I adapt into I don't even know. That's a yeah. yeah. Well, I adapt into something that I don't I don't think is truly undoing mm. racism or truly authentically um promoting diversity, equity or and or inclusion. This I don't mean for this to sound trite, so if it comes out that way, I apologize. But I'm wondering if, um, in preparation for potentially this current project ending and the the need to to overlap that with searching, is there some <laughs> manifesto, some writing, some something that gives you some sort of grounding for that that intentional work that you're talking about? Um, you don't have to respond to that. I just, I'm just sort of saying like it, I, I really appreciate what you're saying and it's something that I, I feel like I, um, I haven't necessarily written things down, but I'm, I'm asking of myself in certain ways about the current work that I'm doing about, you know, future planning and thinking about where I want to go. I need to write things down. I need to codify a little bit or at least have a starting point for something that guides my choices. Um, and it has those kinds of values at the core of them. So I offer that to you. So, cause I feel like you're, you're, always in my opinion since I've known you I have always felt that you've been quite intentional um and making choices that are about feeding either feeding yourself or feeding your needs or feeding your community and I don't know I don't always know the details underneath all of that but I always felt like whenever we interface I'd be like oh Manisha's like making choices based off of something that's deep and rich and I appreciate that about you, even if you weren't necessarily articulating it in any particular way that was cohesive from your perspective. You know what I'm saying? Like, but for me, I could see certain like glimmers of that um, in our, I mean, cause you and I have been shared space maybe three times. <laughs> right, isn't it? It's mad. The connection <laughs> because really. <laughs> it's true. And one of those times was like a random, so random, random in the midst of, I, I have this wedding. I have this little bit of time. Okay. Let's do a quick connection. Yes. Yeah. I was, I was in new Orleans for a wedding. I was there for three days and I was like, I reached out to everybody that I knew there. I was like, Hey, I'm going to be there. And you and I went to that like really random bar, but it was near this beautiful place that I'm, I'm forgetting what it was, but it was where, um enslaved people were uh, able to go on sun is that right the marketplace yeah um and and i felt really honored that you were sharing that with me because i wouldn't have known that on my own you know yeah that was really lovely it was really lovely and and you know i, I think at that point you know i did have the podcast and i had there was something else that was going on for me i can't remember exactly but i remember 
us making a pact. <laughs> we made a pact of some sort where we we're like, we're not going to let others like quiet or dim our light or our voices. Do you remember that? We're like in that random dive bar. <laughs> Oh my God, I do not remember that. (laughs) Oh, but I'm so glad that we did Mm -hmm. because I think I have kept with it, honestly. Mm -hmm. I have kept with it. Mm -hmm. I know we're so over time. I just want to tell this one little thing. Please. I was at this um, conference and um, it was a church conference and they had folks uh, before they would like we would read the scripture together. Um, someone would come and read it in their mother tongue as a reminder that we are all members of the global church, like the the church, not like a building church. Um, and <laughs> so, for one of the speakers came up, this black one. She said, "Well, I'm gonna speak in my mother tongue. Hey, y'all, how y'all doing?" <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And I, I told her later how much I appreciated that because um, it was mostly majority white folks there and I felt seen and spoken to. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is that when I am in professional spaces speaking and if it's majority white folks, I think I do modify myself. Um, but I didn't think about the fact that even if there were just a handful of us there, like she made me feel more invited and seen just with that little piece. And so it, it was a reminder to me mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. And when I presented to this college course just a couple of days ago, the, the introduction to our new virtual classroom simulation, at the end, I told them the, the coach they'll see on the screen is Coach Gabrielle. And I said, so don't y'all be saying, hey, I'm Anisha, because I'm Gabrielle. And I was like, <laughs> but I realized like I allowed that, you know, I'm presenting the, their professors on the Zoom and the system professors on the Zoom and the students, but like I, 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 I allowed true me to come through and be present so that they see me, but especially so that the black folks there who might have that same identity, like feel seen, feel seen mm-hmm. and invited in as themselves too. To me, that that has echoes of cutting your hair. Right. And yeah. I just to go back to that, I, I I feel like there were two like pivotal moments for me where I was more fully um coming into my own black identity uh consciousness, which was living in Atlanta, um, being surrounded by you know, majority black people in my workspaces and in other spaces and feeling like while, you know, the, 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 just feeling like I want, I want to be here. I want to, I want to absorb, I want to be around, I want to be surrounded and, and embraced. And then, um, when I moved to Brooklyn, because I, I grew up on Long Island and then, you know, moving to the city sometimes is like move to Queens. <laughs> so I lived in Queens for a, a couple years and then I moved to Brooklyn. And um, shortly after I started working at the New Victory, at that point, like I was still perming my hair and I was seeing all this gorgeous 
what I was, I, it's probably not cool to say this now, but at the time I was calling it like sister hair, like all these beautiful textures and looks and, um, wraps. And I was like, I don't know nothing about this, but I, I love how uh, living out loud all of these women are. And I want, I want to embrace that. And I had no understanding of what my natural texture was because I hadn't known except for like new growth <laughs> and so and the other part of it was I was poor and I couldn't afford to keep <laughs> spending that kind of money on chemicals and so I was just like you know what just take the plunge and I went to a bar like a, a local shop and said can you cut off the um the processed hair and I had a cute little like bob and like a, not even a bob it was like a fade almost and then it started to grow out and I was, I bought all these books and I was trying all the different kinds of, you know, uh, products and it, but it was, a, it was a, it was a moment for me to be like, oh, let me get in, get in here. And my family is from Atlanta and, and Georgia and, and Alabama and, uh, or my dad's side of the family. And I went down for a reunion at some point. It must've been Panama City Beach I think it must have been like 2005 or 6 or something like that and all all of not all of the women but many of the women natural hair and somebody uh I forget which one but it was one of my like somebody was I love um she was like I never I never thought I would see it natural and I and for the first time I was like oh like I'm 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 truly a part of this family. <laughs> like true, like you see, you see, and you were, you're not only was there was like such pride when she said it. And also like, it, like, I didn't think you, it, cause you're, you know, you haven't had this and I see it and you look and it looks good. And you're, you know, like, like what else are you going to do? And, um, and it, I feel like I definitely like, my hair is such a huge part of me, huge part of me. Um, and who I, who I am and who's a part of my lineage, um, that I feel much more connected to. And it's taken me like that. I was 30. I was 30 when I went natural. So 18 years later, (laughs) Yeah. Something you said at the beginning before we started recording that I don't remember, but I'm like getting it now. Like, I'll say it, 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 it comes when it comes. Mm-hmm. There is no, there's no too late for anything. True. Like, I'm really grateful now that I think about it. Yeah. Okay. I'm 45 and I'm just just reckoning with what does it mean to me to be an artist but I'm really grateful that I'm it's coming mm-hmm. yeah I'm grateful that I'm a little tiny little part of it of that grappling you can just expand the fingers just a little a little more <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, as we are winding down, this has been so delightful. Um, as we're winding down, what what uh, either questions do you have for me or one question? Take one question <laughs> um, or 
something that you you want to talk about that we didn't talk about? I feel like I see you as someone, you know, as I'm I'm venturing into okay, I might need to start making my own way in this world. <laughs> I mean, maybe people will continue to keep coming and I'm offering sure me work. Oh, I'm sure they will. But I feel like I see you as a person once again, I don't have any factual reason to say this, but who has been doing that? Who has been doing what? Making 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 work opportunities for yourself? Mm. If so, I don't know, do you have any advice for me or any even if you don't have advice, is there anything? I think the writing down actually was really, really helpful. But if there was anything else that you thought might be. Yeah, I, I appreciate what you're saying, actually. I, I I also get, like, offers to do, like, gigs, you know, and I, ta- I take them if they fit into my ethos or, um, you know, that ethics and are a part of some sort of, higher strategy of what I want to be involved in or or if it's something that sits outside or adjacent to what I do as my full-time job and then in terms of making work opportunities I mean I definitely feel like I'm good at pursuing things without a doubt um and I think the podcast has has undoubtedly I don't think I was thinking about it when I launched it but it has undoubtedly like solidified me as a leader in addition to the, what I do at the new 42 in this field. Um, and, and I need to embrace that probably more than I do. Um, so I would say as your, uh, oh, oh, and then there's the other thing about like people, you know, there's sort of natural trajectories or, uh, is that right? Or norms, I guess, norms, um, for, different tracks of work of, of career tracks within this field. And I'm not interested in any of the ones that are in inherent to what I'm doing. (laughs) I don't necessarily want to be in academia, which would, could be a very natural next step going that way or being an executive director. Um, I definitely like being in leadership, but I don't necessarily want to be at the top of what might be a pyramid or even, you know, just, the one the big person who's fully responsible for everything Mm, I don't know I don't know I don't it's not that I couldn't be good at that it's just that is that the thing that's in the pit of the stomach that you can't have names for um so that's what I that's that's what I would offer to you is you know don't feel like you need to narrow or like keep expand expansion and not taking on what people tell you you they think you should do right but keep feeling, feeling out to whatever that thing is that you cannot describe that is drawing you to do something. Listen to that because that's your truth. Um, and then I, I would keep just talking to, I think talking to people, like whether it's coffee or drinks or just continuing to be in community, I think is really, really valuable. I have, some of my best friends are within this field and even people even people who I don't get to see on a regular basis like having this kind of connection like that's really important to me (laughs) um uh 
I want I this isn't this isn't it, but I'm here I'm seeing Bechdel test. <laughs> I don't know if that just popped into my head. Like, is there some sort of rubric or some sort of guide that tells you like, oh, this hits two out of the four things, then maybe not so much, or this hits three out of the four or four out of the four, then let me go. Just something that helps you to do a, a barometer situation. Um, so I've definitely said no to certain things, but then I'm, I am I know me, I, that dabbler in me is like, I want to do things that I've never done before. And it's usually gig based. So for example, like um, somebody asked me if I would be their student advisor. I've never done that before. I'm learning how to do, I'm literally learning how to do that while I'm doing it, which may or may not be serving her very, very well. But uh, now I, and then when I'm done, I'll think, you know, I'll do my reflection and say, you know, is this something that you would want to pursue or do more fully in future or mentoring um, either like a formalized program or, or an informal program um, adjuncting and then, you know, moderating and listening or sorry, leading sessions um, or being a part of like, you know, grant panels, those kinds of things or boards or, you know, like I, I've, uh, definitely been approached in different ways and I've made decisions like, okay, these are, these are things that I'm, that aren't in my, in my repertoire anymore. I'm going to, there was a time for them and that's not something that's of interest to me right now. Right. So there's certain, so I think the more true to, to where you are now and less so of like where you're, you think you're supposed to be now is the pursuit of happiness such a deep closing closer that was like button i'm just looking lovingly at you (laughs) um was that helpful yeah yeah yeah. one big thing i think that i'm i'm now thinking is just really to spend some time writing and grounding myself um I thought like, oh, I gotta do this damn LinkedIn. I ain't need never need, never needed to do no dog on LinkedIn in my life. <laughs> Shoot. Now I gotta do this LinkedIn. Um, I started it when I thought I was gonna need to. When I came back from my like sabbatical, self-determined sabbatical after I left Kid Smart after 10 years. Yeah. Because they they had wanted our executive director was leaving. Mm-hmm. Elise was gonna be moving up to ED and they wanted me to move into the education director role. Mm-hmm. And uh I'd already decided I was leaving, but that I was so clear. I don't want that. Um, but when I came back, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to try and figure out work. And so I started Amanisha Creates. I created a LinkedIn. I put like two things in there and then I was over it. <laughs> but then I didn't need it because work just came to me. Sometimes all it is is opening the door and then the universe provides, right? Like sometimes you just got to open the door. Door open. I'ma leave the door open. Leave the door open, girl. I'ma leave the door open, open. And if work wants to come through and let me facilitate, tell me that you're coming through. Can you 
believe Thoroughly Modern Millie did not cast me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. What a delight you are. I'm so glad, Courtney. I'm just gonna. I'm, gonna, I'm glad you called me. That's what this was. It's a phone call. This was good, girl. This was good. Thank you for listening to episode 59, Act Two of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Amanisha Ferdinand, Divine Self Development. Join us next time for a conversation with Melissa Friedman. This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. Jono Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Find us on Instagram at Teaching Artistry with CJB and now on YouTube. Check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.